Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome once again, wherever you are in our great country, or we are around the world. My goodness, people are listening from China, Ireland, uh, Zimbabwe, for all I know. And this is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America channel. I'm always excited, pleased to be able to share thoughts with you that we are able and show we're able to discuss anything from various perspectives. And that's what we do on All Rise. We bring people from different walks of life, different views, uh, and we share thoughts. But that's really amazing. As in, for example, fighting drug prohibition, I have found that people from all different walks of life have arrived at the same conclusions that I have, which just solidifies that, hey, what we're doing with drug prohibition is not working. We're going to talk a lot about school choice in this issue, having a lady, a wonderful lady named Regina Brim, B-R-I-M, with us as our guest. And we're going to talk about numbers of things, but high on the list is for school choice. Excellence in education is really key. So with that, Regina, welcome, and uh, I appreciate your joining us today. And uh, please, who is R.J. Brim, as you announced yourself, and uh, and how did you happen to be involved with what you're doing? Give us a little bit of your background. Um, I'm uh, R.J. Brim, or Regina Brim. I'm a 55-year-old mom of three beautiful children. Um, I presently live in Mississippi, but I'm an Army-Navy Foreign Service brat. Um, my ex-husband was in the Navy, and I'm here in Mississippi because that was our twilight tour. Um, I started um, my activism basically because of the questions my children were asking me. I mean, you kind of sit on the couch sometimes and watch TV and you talk back and forth to the TV saying, you know, somebody should do something. And my children kept saying, well, aren't you somebody? Uh-huh. Well, okay. <laughs> so that that's kind of where it it, it it initially started. So you say you started your activism. What issue got you uh, involved uh, to be a somebody to your kids in that regard? Um, a couple of things. Um, we are, at, at the time that this all started, we were very much uh, a family that did a lot of outdoor activities, including um, firearms and fishing and whatever. And we'd go to the range And as far as people of color or women, as far as people of color, it was just me and my family. As far as women, there were very few. Or you go to a gun show or even a gun shop and look for either parts for your gun or a new gun. And there was the, really, you don't look like a gun person or why are you here? And I was like, okay. I mean, it it seems ridiculous in America that, that you kind of get that sort of attitude. Um, grew up all over the place, and one of the summers I spent, or most of the summers I spent, was in a small town called Chipley in Florida. So I was 
shooting something since I was about four years old. You know, been taught gun safety, you know, how to handle a gun, how to handle the ammo, how to fix all of that, and to kind of be judged just by, I guess, the best way to describe it is melanin content seemed ridiculous. The second kind of boost was, and I kind of owe a, um, a thumbs up to you, Judge, because I was at the Libertarian Convention in Columbus. And one of your keynote speeches, you looked out in the audience and said, we have a problem. There aren't any people of color here. And there was myself, I believe, and one other gentleman. So you weren't like 100% right, but you were mostly right. So, I mean, if I want people to understand my position and I want people to understand what I'm saying, you speak to things. Hence, Pro Liberty was born. Well, and good for you. You know, I, I truly believe that the Libertarian Party is the only mainstream political party in our country today, that we stand up for the downtrodden. We stand up for minority rights. We stand up to, to protect our liberties against the encroachment of government, which was entirely the desire of our founders in the Constitution. And candidly, Regina, and by the way, Regina in Spanish means queen. So uh, I, I'm saluting you in that uh, regalness, but, but you are a queen in so many ways for, for doing what you're doing, standing up for the downtrodden and standing up for excellence in, in public ed in, in education and others. But I'll, I'll tell you and I'll tell our audience that I'm not a gun enthusiast. Uh, I do, I've never owned any guns, but it really is a question of liberty that, oh, you know, it's now the, the whipping child in effect for what's going on bad in society, but it's a question of responsibility and a question of liberty. That look, if I wanted to harm somebody, I own an automobile and I could, I could harm all kinds of people, but I don't have to particularly uh, pass tests and the rest. But if in fact you make guns illegal, what the guns will still be here. They always have, they always will be, but then you take away some control. You know, you can, before you get a gun permit and you, you have one, I don't, but you can require training to in safety. Uh, but if it's an illegal thing, it's just like with drugs, you have no quality control on drugs, no training, no safety. But if you regulate it and control it, you can actually have a gun safety course required before you get that permit, hopefully taught by people like the NRA, etc. So w did you get a gun safety uh, training before you began carrying a gun? Um, here in Mississippi, we have something called constitutional carry, which means if you have a gun, you can carry it, period. Mm. However, I travel to different states. In other words, when I go to Alabama, constitutional carry does not apply. When I go to Florida, constitutional carry does not apply. However, with the permit here, you have something called reciprocity which means the permit that I have in Mississippi is good in Florida, is good in Alabama. To get um, the enhanced permit, you must go through an eight-hour uh, class that includes both classroom and range training here in Mississippi. But it is not necessary in Mississippi itself. But, um, you know, I went to a conference um, that the Lions Club had recently, and there was a law enforcement professional, and he said, yeah, get that, get that permit. You know, make that reciprocity useful. You know, go out and talk to people. I think, at least for me, and I can't speak for every gun owner, uh, education is, is key, absolutely. 
the more you talk to people, the more myths you hear, um, the more disinformation you hear that's either put out by people who, you know, oh, I saw it on the Internet, it must be true, or I saw it on the news, so it must be true, um, the more you're able to, A, dispel people, D, to see, okay, well, the person that you demonized as a gun owner is the same person that sat in your house and ate a meal and and was just fine. So perhaps the myth you believe is not true, that sort of thing. Well, I happen to feel, and I'm not sure candidly how libertarian this is, but I believe that the government does have a function in promoting getting honest information out into the marketplace. Uh, I happen to believe that, for example, and maybe it's a silly one, but for those restaurants that have more than 30 outlets, for example, that they should be required to put the calorie content, the fat content, just on their menus. Uh, It's too difficult for individuals to find this information. I know that if the People demanded it that it could happen from customer basis. But, and it's the same thing with regarding to promoting safety, that I don't think the government should be teaching these classes, but people like the NRA to promote safety. And I'll give you an example, Regina. One time as a judge, I had a lawsuit in which it happened that this man who owned a restaurant uh, lived in a house and then he had a, a house for his mother-in-law, just a couple of a bedroom for his mother-in-law outside. And one day she was taking her dog, who happened to be in heat, was taking it from the main house to her to her cabana, and a German shepherd had jumped her fence and knocked her down. She hit her in the chest, knocked her down. She screamed, and uh, the daughter said, oh, dad, dad, someone's attacking grandma. So he went, got his gun out of his uh, drawer, took it out there, and by that time, the German shepherd had left, but the mother called the police. And so the police were there, and at this point, then they called inside. Hey, do you have a gun? The answer was, yes, I do. Well, we're not coming inside until you put your gun away. So the owner the, the owner of the restaurant walked back toward his bed table to put his gun back in it, but it had been greased too heavily, and so it slipped while he was carrying it. So what did he do? A natural reflex. He put it, grabbed his left hand over the muzzle, and then it, the damn thing went off, blew the devil out of his own hand. So he ended up trying to sue the owner of the, the uh, German Shepherd dog. Eventually, since it was determined that he had come to a place of safety. This whole problem was his. But I keep remembering, and the reason I'm going through this tirade is that had he been required to have a gun safety course, it wouldn't have been oiled so much on the outside. He would have known how to handle it, and he wouldn't have harmed himself. Does any of this make sense to you, Regina Brim? Uh, uh, yes and no. Yes and no. And I, I usually kind of counter such things with sort of stories that I've garnered and personal stories. Um, like I said, I was taught from about four safety and all that other stuff. What I was taught basically by my grandfather, my grandmother, and my relatives has surpassed anything that I could ever be taught in a safety class. You get an eight-hour safety class. That is not going to get you the repetitive nature of what you have to do as a gun owner. Let me just say that. Um, As far as regulation and laws is concerned, I point to you a case that was out of New York around, I want to say, 86. A gentleman came home, um, tired, you know, from a long night. and He's one of these guys that just wants to come in and kind of sit in his easy chair you know, and just kind of relax. 
you know, 12-hour shift or whatever. He's sitting in his chair, and he hears his daughter scream. Okay. Um, he gets up, goes in, and there's a nude man attacking his daughter. He goes, gets his thirty-eight that his dad gave him out of his closet, and goes and shoots the guy. The guy did not die. Uh, was taken to the hospital, but the gentleman who shot the intruder was arrested. Okay, in a world full of regulation and heavy regulation like New York, that is a possibility. So when we speak in terms of regulation and government intervention, I refer people back to that story. Now, as far as oiling or whatever, I guarantee you I could take you to the range with people that have been NRA certified, okay, or um, American Gun Owners of American certified. Those are the two big organizations. And it will depend on that person, what they do to that tool. Because essentially that's what a gun is. It is a tool. Um, as far as oiling or handling of a gun, I'm a big, big believer in muscle memory. Had that gentleman handled that gun more than a couple of times, you know what? He would have figured out, okay, it was too oily. I should take the oil off. A class will not teach you that. Having the muscle memory and knowledge and handling your tool will. So that's where I think we differ on that. Sure. Well, life is complicated, and obviously you got lessons growing up that many people did not have. But and when it comes down to it, Regina, a, a chainsaw is dangerous also. So I think we should prohibit all chainsaws or have people have a permit to carry a chainsaw or, you know, that sort of thing. But but how you have as your handle, as I've seen it, Fro Liberty, F-R-O Liberty, L-I-B-E-R-T-Y. In fact, you have a website, Fro Liberty, I believe it's .com, but, but how did you choose that that handle uh you have an afro i guess is that is that why is that connected uh that is that is the initial reason why it was kind of a bit of a joke um you know i'd go to a gun show or go out to the range or go to a libertarian function and i look around and there was my fro and me that was it you know yeah. there, there wasn't yeah. a whole bunch of uh, people that kind of look like me. And the fact of the matter is, I know tons of African Americans that are gun owners. I know tons of Hispanic Americans that are gun owners. And I needed to speak to them. And I also needed to speak to those that weren't a person of color that, yeah, I'm just like you. You know what? I have this tool that I use to protect my family, and I am safe. You know, I drive with it. I carry it when I go shop. I am safe. Uh, the issues that concern you as a liberty-minded American concern us, concern me. So I try to speak to those issues as um, a parent, as an American, and a woman of color. And that's basically what Full Liberty is, and I, I hope to grow it a little bit more. Indeed, and and bless you for that. The the byline for Flo, Fro Liberty, as I understand it, is quote freeing your mind from the shackles of misinformation unquote. What was the inspiration for that label? Um, I, the initial thing was that is uh, if you go back in my 
Facebook or Instagram or any of my social media, I tend to have very long discussions. And I think I do quite well considering uh, with people about guns, about school, about children, and your rights in that regard. And one of the big kind of misinformation things was um, the gun show loophole. Okay. Anybody could walk into a gun show with no ID, no background check, and buy a gun. Okay. That was mentioned in a couple of presidential speeches. That was mentioned in a couple of presidential candidate speeches. And it turns out that all goes back to a Brady Bill study that was made. In other words, they went out and they got a source. I believe it was 35 people. That was their source and asked them about it, and they went, oh, yeah. Okay, well, since then, the Brady Foundation has disavowed that piece of information, but it's still out there. So if you have a populace that just has that, that singular piece, they're thinking, okay, well, you know what? You could just walk in and buy a gun. There is no background check. There is no this. And if you are a gun owner, you know every time you buy a gun, you must present a photo ID. You must fill out the ATF form every single time, period, regardless of whether it's a brick-and-mortar shop or you go to a gun show, period. That's, a, that, that's, you know, that's one piece. The other thing is there were a couple of hope, very high-profile shootings that happened. Um, one was the Philando Castile case. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. And immediately, right after the case, there was this, oh, he had dreadlocks, he was a thug, he was like this. I was like, dude, I mean, do your research. This man was a teacher. He was a father. I mean, so if you're sitting there, you're going, what what are you guys talking about? Why are you demonizing? Why are you trying to switch this around? And I think we see that more and more every day when there is somebody you want to be a hero that did something wrong, you demonize the victim to kind of lessen the wrong of that, that person you want to be a hero. And that's not fair. And that's not, I don't think that's the news that I grew up with. And I don't think that's the news that you grew up with. I mean, that may be a naive point of view, but that's kind of how I, how I viewed it. So I wrote a very long article on that case and a follow-up on it. And I took a lot of heat from it, but a lot of gun owners went, you know, something that makes sense. That's fair. And I don't, I don't do this to, you know, brainwash anybody. If I get one pe- person to think, may change their mind, may not. But if I get one person to think, then I'm good. Well, indeed. And, and thank you for that. And, and the whole typecasting or profiling and stuff, it's just, it's just silly. It, it, but I can believe that it's within all of us that we're more comfortable with people that are like us than not like us on, on a 
threshold basis, but my goodness, we're all journeying in this life together. We're all brothers and sisters, and, and we should act like it. And But it, it, if you're unlike me, I am kind of tend to be more afraid of you, which is just silly. But we're a nation of immigrants. Diversity is a good thing. But uh, you've intrigued me, and I haven't I haven't heard any of these, but you stayed on your website, and in fact, uh, you told me when we were together in Mississippi not long ago that you focus upon liberty-minded stories. Tell us one of your favorite stories. I'm intrigued. Uh, wow. Uh, one of my favorite, and I don't know if favorite is a word, or one of the more concerning stories was a gentleman that I interviewed um, whose name was Dr. David Allen. Um, he was a cardiac surgeon here in Mississippi, okay, probably one of the best. He, in fact, he was the first doctor here in Mississippi that performed, performed open-heart surgery without benefit of a heart and lung machine. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable skill. Uh, he owned, or still owns, thank goodness, a piece of property that was about 35 acres and the water feature is about 20 acres, and it's called the Blue Hole. Okay? Um, he was friends with the sheriff at the time, was, uh, Sheriff Mike Bird. And Mike Bird said, hey, you know, I got this helicopter that was um, given to us by the drug task force. I'd like to fly over your property and take a look at it. And they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Three days later, Dr. Allen was in California, and the Jackson County Drug Task Force came in, raided his property, said he was growing marijuana, and confiscated his property. Okay? Here in Mississippi, when you have something like an asset forfeiture or something like that, you have less than 30 days to go to court and fight for your property. Now imagine that. You're in California. They've raided, they've taken your property, and you have 30 days to get a case. Unbelievable. That's not no. in America, you know, that, that I want to think we live in. Well, the you problem know, um, is uh, the more power government gets, the more power that they, they, they purport to want to steal from us. And, and I say, and I believe it, that big government is really, really good at one thing, Regina, and that is increasing the power, the size, and the cost of big government. And, and eminent domain, asset forfeiture, we call it, fittingly, policing for profit. You know, we had a similar right. situation out here, even worse, if you can believe it, in Ventura County in California with a man named Donald Scott, who owned a piece of land, and that uh, he was raided at, at night uh, to try to, uh, they said that some informant said that he was raising marijuana, which he was not, but he tried to defend himself and people were barging into his room. He grabbed a gun and, and they killed him. They shot and killed him in that circumstance. And, and they, they had people there from the park service because they wanted, the idea was to forfeit his land. So they actually had people from the park service there to look over the land and salivate and say, oh, I'd like this to, to be a national park service. It's unruly government. And you're, you're great to stand up for this, to, to tell these stories and to, to bring liberty in effect onto the scene. Uh, there was another one that you're probably aware of. The Institute for Justice represented a lady. As I sit here, I can't remember what state, but she had a house 
uh, and, uh, and the people wanted to have condemn it for eminent domain because basically they wanted to clear those houses out, put in a shopping center so they could bring in more sales tax revenue to the town. And uh, she went up on appeal. Uh, that was actually done unsuccessfully, but uh, they they had a movie about this. It's called The Little Pink House. You can see it where we do have institutions. And in fact, Scott Bullock, who was the director of the Institute for Justice, was a prior guest on All Rise here, but we do have institutions that stand up and protect the downtrodden, protect those the government are, is, is st simply stepping on. And that's the Libertarian Party. That's what we stand for. We stand for minority rights. And, and uh, we stand for people in the minorities. We're all, of course, a minority in some things and a majority in others. But uh, don't look to the executive department, the legislative department, per se, uh, as run by Republicans and Democrats. It's, it's pro-liberty. It's libertarians. And, and uh, I'm proud of you for that. We don't have much time before the break, but can you tell us quickly another liberty-minded story that you're getting out there on your website, which, am I correct again, it's www.froliberty.com. Is that your website? Uh, it's .org, and I have my written material up there, but my uh, videos are on RJ Brim on YouTube, and I okay. am looking at the legalization issue that is a big issue here in Mississippi presently. Well, good for you. You also have a GoFundMe uh, as well. If people out there that would like to assist you in fighting for liberty in, in uh, the South, uh, what, how can they uh, attribute that or get more information for you? Uh, if you look up Pro Liberty on GoFundMe, you can find me. Uh, I also have a PayPal me, Pro Liberty also. Um, and that is basically to keep me on the road interviewing people. Um, I also invite suggestions of stories from people, you know, stuff they want to hear. Good for you. Good for you. So hear ye, hear ye out there, uh, lovers of liberty, uh, please uh, contact Regina Brim, B-R-I-M, uh, at uh, www.froliberty.org and, uh, and help her. She is doing really good work. Uh, we're going to come back in a couple of minutes, but and, and this isn't fair to ask you this question when we only have a minute or two left before the break, but do you believe that things like race relations, race discrimination are better now in Mississippi and the South than they were, say, five or ten years ago, Regina? Uh, that is a layered answer. <laughs> that really is. Um, I've had less racial issues here in Mississippi. I had more racism and racial issues when we lived in California. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Or Chicago Sorry. or New York. I fear that that's becoming, uh, becoming more evident. And they're a little more below the, the visual line, but they certainly are here, and we all have to, to work together to, to join hands, as it were, with our fellow brothers and sisters and treat people, people as people. You know, hold people accountable for their actions, but not, you know, their race, their gender, their whatever else. We're all people journeying together. Well, we're going to talk about this and more things again. Bring up school choice, which is a huge issue, uh, particularly in the uh, African-American community, Hispanic community as well. After we hear from these messages, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Hello and welcome back. After hearing those messages, this is still Judge Jim Gray with my esteemed guest, Regina Brim. And uh, in accordance with my wife's directives, and of course, I I always answer yes, yes, ma'am, and, and yes, dear, when she asked me to have a little bit of silliness. And this is a little bit subtle, but the word is, well, to be frank, I'd have to change my name. Okay. Well, to be frank, I'd have to change my name. <laughs> I love plays on words, and that's kind of fun. But but we're here, and and I'd like to ask you that we're all in this world together, or joining together. I became a libertarian. I was a lifelong Republican until the passage of the so-called Patriot Act, but I could not be involved with any group that would condone, much less assist, this direct attack on our civil liberties. And that's what the Patriot Act did then and is still doing today. So I became a libertarian. Uh, I believe in the Libertarian Party. I believe that if, in fact, we're the only mainstream party in the country today, that we would, in effect, not play games and, and get into the crony capitalism and punish our enemies and reward our friends. We would just not be able to interested in profiting from being involved in government but but and we uphold minority rights so regina brim you're an african-american lady a mother but uh what is the perception of the libertarian party from your standpoint within the african-american community um that is a hard climb for me sometimes um all libertarians <laughs> libertarians in general we are great about preaching philosophy and dogma. We are. It, it, it's, I guess, you know, the point of the Libertarian Party. However, that doesn't translate well when you speak to people and situations. So, um, I, I think I, I told you my first Libertarian convention was the one that you spoke at in Columbus. And a lot of people kind of sat me down and was like, hey, Regina, you know, how can we reach out to the black community, black 
black community? How can we do outreach? And I said, first of all, don't come in and preaching at anybody. Okay? If you walk into Mima's house and she has, you know, five kids and she is supporting them on, let's say, welfare or Social Security because the drug war has her son in jail or her daughter in jail, and you start telling her that she's stealing money, that's not going to work, and you're going to get thrown out, and it's going to be worse. But if you come in and say, you know something, as libertarians, the drug war is disproportionately unfair, and that unfairness is reflected in the fact that your son is in jail. So let's talk about his case and what we could do to make sure there are no more victims like him put in jail. That is a better approach, period. So, I mean, the perception of the Libertarian Party overall is it's a bunch of old, rich, white males trying to preach at us, trying to tell us what to do. And that's not going to work. Traditionally, the perception or... Stereotype is if you're a black person, you're a Democrat. If you're a white person, you're a Republican. And we need to kind of clean that slate and say, what is important to you? What are the issues that affect your family, that affect your community, and go from there? And I think if we did that and didn't kind of tribe up like, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, and started from that clean slate... I think you'd see more and more libertarians. Well, I've said several times on this show and elsewhere, Regina, that uh, anyone that goes into a voting booth has one question on his or her mind, and that is, what's in it for me? And it could be anything. It could be my pocketbook. It could be world peace. It certainly could be less discrimination and the rest. But, But what they don't understand is the Libertarian Party really is the one that stands up for the downtrodden. You know, we have all of these government licenses in order to get get jobs and it's the it's the lower economic people that are held out of these i mean in california you even have to have a government license to trim trees for heaven's sake uh the minimum wage law is ostensibly aimed at helping the downtrodden but actually it puts people out of work there are some people that are not worth twelve dollars an hour yet but once they get that first step up on the economic ladder then they'll be able to prosper over incarceration it's just an atrocity that we have so many people in prison and, and in custody in our country most the vast over-representation by African-Americans, Hispanic peoples of color. So so what's in it for me? You know, I don't want the over-incarceration in our country. I don't want to have these minimum wages that, that keep people from getting jobs, etc. Is, is that in accord with your view? Um, absolutely. Um, one of the things that, you know, as I kind of put the negative side to the Libertarian Party, is we were the party that first said, the drug war was wrong. We are the first party that said, whether you're male, female, black, white, yellow, and green, if you support our platform, we will run you. That was us. So when I speak to people and they say, oh, well, you know, I'm coming around to, you know, cannabis legalization. And I was like, okay, so, you know, you're coming around to libertarian thinking. And they sit back and go, yeah, I guess you're right. Because that was us first, period. So, I mean, you kind of kind of give us props for that. But um, I, you're right. I think if more and, peop- more and more people kind of examine beyond the stereotype as far as people, 
especially as far as the Libertarian Party, there wouldn't be a problem. There'd be more, the Libertarian Party would grow exponentially just from that. And that's true not that's true in all communities. That I think that we have allowed other people to label us as oh greed is good, survival of the fittest, I've made yours, I don't want you to make yours. Sort my my I've made mine. Uh, but we we've allowed that branding to take place. Uh, we need people to understand what libertarian values are and what their results would be and it would be to reinforce minority rights, to assist people, Absolutely. to help them thrive, to as we say in this show, we could all rise together. And that includes all of us. And speaking of all rising together, in my view, probably the most important critical issue in our country today, and I don't mean to exaggerate, but I don't think I am, is the failing schools in so many areas of our country. And regretfully, most of those failing schools are in the lower economic areas, African-American in many ways, Hispanic as well. And where you bring in choice, where you bring in the empowerment of the parents to choose where their government money is going to be spent for the education of their children, what will they demand? They'll demand excellence. And what will they receive? They'll receive excellence. Uh, what is your experience with regard to that critically important issue? I'd be interested in your perspective. What is it? Uh, well, uh, my two youngest children um, have Asperger's syndrome, which is a high-functioning form of autism. Uh, because of that, they were in the SPED program, which is the special education program here in Mississippi. What I found is you had to be that mom. You had to go into an IEP, which is an individual education program meeting, and say, you will do this for my child, or else it would not happen, because it's expensive. I'm gladdened to see in the last five years some parents here in Ocean Springs who've had children that have had Autism and dyslexia uh, got together, uh, thanks to um, educational choice, pooled their funds and started a small charter school directed to help their children. And that is key. If the education system that you are paying for is not serving your children well, you got to do something. You cannot sit. You cannot wait. You cannot allow the system to chew up your child. One of the things that you will hear as a parent is, well, you know, I have, let's say, 500 other students to worry about. And that's all well and good. As a parent, you have to say, that's fine. You have 500 other children. I have two. And I'm going to make sure that you, who take my tax money, do the best for these two. Period. Whether that be pulling them out forming a charter school, or, and this is also part of school choice, finding a private school that will serve them better and having your tax dollar pay for that. The problem is the majority, I would say between 65 and 70% of parents do not know they have that choice. Okay, we can easily say, well, that's government, or we could say, hey, it's the parents that don't do their research. Six and a half, you know, half a dozen or a dozen or the other, it doesn't matter. Our children are being underserved by not having that information out there. Well, the way I address it is that we have to decide what the purpose is 
of the educational system. Number one, to educate our children, and as I say, what a concept. Or number two, to protect below-average children, as or to protect below-average teachers, I mean, and also to can sustain this administrative bureaucracy that we have. And I love the way you were saying, you know, you need to ensure that you who are taking my tax money do well by my kids. And if they don't, I'm going to take my tax money elsewhere. What does that do, Regina? It promotes competition. Competition works. And you, if you are the parent who is able to decide where that government money will be spent, you're, and you're involved, of course, uh, you will get good results. And, and I think that's what you have seen and what you're saying. Isn't, isn't that right? It's competition that we're lacking in the public schools. Um, that, like I said, and in, in you have to be the informed parent. And I, and, I, and I absolutely stress that. An example is where my children went to school. If you look at the requirements for them to graduate and walk across the stage, I think it was 34 credits. And my mom's sense didn't make sense of that. So I went and looked at what the state standard was. And the state standard was 30. At the time, my child had 30 credits. All he had to do was pass the test, period. I sat down with the principal and I said, um, explain to me why... He will not walk across the stage. And I was given a long speech about excellence and how it would be better for colleges. And I had to be that ugly parent going, I don't care. He has met the requirements. You will not deny him this. I got silence. I got another speech. But he walked across that stage. Period. My point is, you have to be informed. You cannot take what an administrator tells you as gospel. If it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't fit for your child, do something about it. End well, and that, that not only with regard to Asperger's or aut- autism or whatever, but a lot of children just are not meant to or don't wouldn't be particularly effective or caring about being a professor of economics or or a medical doctor that they'd like to be, you know, a, a computer programmer or something. We get away from occupational schools, uh, but if the parent saw that, boy, my daughter really likes mechanics, uh, they would find a place where she could learn a skill and be an aircraft mechanic. And automobile mechanic or whatever she was wanting to go into. So you're right. There's no substitute for parent parental involvement. No, no substitute at all. You can't teach it and stuff. But, but if you have this competition, more schools will be out there and then they, your neighbors will see, wow, look what, what Regina's children are doing. I want my children to go there as well. So it promotes that excellence. So hats off to you, Regina. You are a queen of, of that regard and many others. But, but how do you get other and what you say is accurate, and it's a it's a huge problem. But how do you teach others to be parentally involved and be active, other than by example? Um, by example is good, but talking to people, you know, hey, I'm doing this, or you know, people talk about the evils of social media, and I get it can be used for evil, but if you're sitting on Facebook and you see a mom or a dad or another parent. Struggling. Oh my God, you know, I'm, my kid is not doing this in school, and I went to this IEP meeting and they gave me a stack of papers. Why not reach out and say, hey, you know what? This is what I did. 
This is the name of the person who runs the special education department in your district. Call them. Period. They have to talk to you. They work for you. They are paid by your tax dollars. Period. If they don't answer your phone call, here's the address. Drive up. Knock on their door. Do not allow the system to ruin your children's future. Period. As a parent here in Mississippi, your child has three choices to end their high school career. They could get a certificate of completion. No kidding. A piece of paper that they hand and say, you did it. Bravo. You can get a traditional diploma or you can get a GED. No harm, no foul in GED. But of the three, the more valued is that traditional diploma. As a parent, if, you're, if you believe your child can achieve that, you need to make sure they do. Does that mean a little bit of argument? Yeah. Does that mean when they say no, they can't afford it? Going, I don't care, you will still do it? Yeah, it does. This is the future, period. Judge, you and I, I'm, I'm 55. You're a little bit more seasoned than I am. You're so being diplomatic, Regina. Thank you for your diplomacy. <laughs> our children are our future. So if you do nothing, our future will be nothing, period. And when we oh. aren't around, our children need to be able to stand on their own. And education, whether it be schooling or chores or whatever, that's going to be their foundation for the future. You just got to get it done, period. Indeed so. And in fact, we have to teach our children to question, to, to be on their own standpoint. I will tell you, I think I've mentioned this once before on All Rise, that one of my victories of being a parent, I was driving my children, they were then back maybe six, six and three years old, driving a south uh, in Southern California, going by a strawberry field. And they, and I'm still not sure I understand why, but they put plastic over the strawberry fields and then little holes for the bushes to grow up in. But I looked at them, I said, hey, look, kids, look, kids, that's where they raise plastic. Oh, really, daddy? Oh, really? And I didn't say anything. Maybe five miles down the road, one of my kids said, oh, come on, dad. But you need to teach your children to question. Even the, the source comes, you're six years old, your parent knows everything. Even if the source is your parent, you still have to teach them to question. So it comes down to us. You know, it's not the educational system. I write a title for each of these segments in All Rise. And the one I'm going to write for you, uh, Regina Brim, is, quote, they work for you, unquote, and then explain it. That is a perfect, perfect analogy. The people in government are taking our tax money. They work for us. And I also will go a little beyond that in saying, look, it's our government, and if it's not working, we have no one to blame but ourselves. We need to be active. It's our government. If it's not working, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Fortunately, we have people like Regina Brim here who stands up not only for her own two feet and her own children, but for ours as well. If you want to support her, go to GoFundMe, colon, FroLiberty, and go to her website, FroLiberty.org. So, so what are you, so if you you're donated five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, Regina, what do you do with the money? What what value do I get for my contribution? Uh, number one is uh, I am a person who number one will acknowledge the donation. Number two, uh, you will see it 
I mean, when I record a video and I'll say, hey, um, Judge Gray, you donated X amount of dollars. I am on the road, and I am doing this story thanks to you. Um, one of the problems that we see with, with such things is people get money, and you don't know what it's, what's done with it, period. I'm not that person. Um, I buy camera equipment. I put gas in my vehicle, and I, and I do stories. Period. If you have a suggested story you'd like me to do, um, I had a red flag law um, conference that I went and filmed. Uh, some people liked it, some did not, but it was a liberty-minded story. It was a story about gun rights. It was a story about due process that a lot of people uh, talk about in the news, and it wasn't a news commentator. These were people in your community, in their community, that had a concern and put voice to that concern. And people need to see that. Where we live, people that look like us, not people talking at them, but people just like them that have those concerns. We need a diversity of information in our society, Regina, and you are fulfilling that function. I'll say again that I think one of the reasons we're so polarized in our country today is because we have all of these cable TV channels. And I thought originally, boy, that's going to be great. We're going to get lots of different information. And I simply was wrong because you'll find some that just cater put the blinders on and cater exactly to what you're thinking and showing how you're completely right, we're completely virtuous, and they are evil. You are getting a diversity of information out there to look at something from the perspective of a, what, 52-year-old black lady. Uh, I think you said 55, but you don't act it. You're more like 52. But, but to get that perspective and that vision helps us all. And we can all learn from each other, and we can all teach each other. So, so thank you. Give us, in our brief time remaining, you do love to tell stories of, with a focus of liberty-minded stories. Give us one more of your favorites. Um, well, one of my favorites um, that I'm working on now, um, and one of the blessings of these, this liberty movement is people you meet that turn into friends and lifelong friends and family. Um, a friend of mine was on a trip to Birmingham, and he lived there. And he was like, hey, why don't you check, come and check out the 16th Street Baptist Church? Well, you know you've heard the stories. You've probably seen the documentary. But you do not know um, how you're going to feel until you're standing in the presence of those incidents in history. And uh, I am presently working on that story. I'm, I think I mentioned to you before that I'm taking my time with it because it's such an important story. But that's what our liberty movement needs to be about, about people looking at stories and speeches and different people and going, wow, I never thought of it like that. That, that, that changed me. That affected me in some rather visceral way. And those are the stories I'd love to tell. Indeed. I was in Birmingham uh, a while ago and actually visited the Birmingham jail where uh, Martin Luther King was held. Uh, and uh, in fact, he wrote the letters from the Birmingham jail. This is just, it's inspirational. Uh, yes, people have their flaws, but, but we, can, we are all standing together. If, if I help you, it helps society, it helps me. You know? and it, besides, the, I think the most important thing in life, now I'm pontificating and give me a break for a moment, but I think the most important life is gratification. No, it's not love. It's not happy. It's not, not 
power, it's not prestige, it's not fame, it's gratification of knowing that the world is a somewhat better place because you spent your span of years here. And that has to be what you're getting, gratification from enlightening people, telling their stories, getting the word out. It's just got to feel really good. On behalf of society, I thank you, but that inner gratification is even more important. Do you feel that gratification, RJ? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, um, the ultimate dream is for me to stand in a room full of people and tell my stories or to travel and film and talk to people, regular, regular Joes, and have them tell us stories of liberty and success. I mean, basically, travel, tell cool stories, and I don't know, make people think. I mean, like I said... Um, that is the best thing, best thing ever, getting out there. And the GoFundMe, the PayPal me, that keeps me on the road. That upgrades my cameras. That, you know, lets me get out and talk to more people. Sure. And and we can see those stories and, and see your videos on froliberty.org? Um, the videos are on RJ Brim on YouTube. Um, I'm working on getting up probably two or three videos a week. Um, and like I said, I'm working on finishing up that Birmingham uh, feature. I'm taking my time because I think it's such an important story. And I'm trying to get back up to Birmingham. Um, a friend of mine has an inside to go and talk to the pastor that's the pastor of the church right now, and I'd love to sit down and speak with that gentleman to see what the impact it was then as opposed to Birmingham in 2020. That's that's the future of what I'm trying to get at. Well, when it comes down to it, uh, Regina, are you optimistic about our country, about our race relations and, and the rest? Uh, you think it'll be better five or ten years from now than it is now? Um, it has to be. It has to be. I have to have that belief, if not for myself, but for my kids. Period. So. If I well, believe of course. that things are getting worse, there is no purpose. So I have to believe in part of what Pro-Liberty is, is to see if, if in some small part I can get to that better United States, that better understanding, that better relations. Well, when it comes down to it, it's our government, like I said. It's our life. Uh, we can each get that gratification just by making it a little bit better. And it could be anything. It could be save the whales. It can be you know, education. Some things are, are obviously more important than others. But just make the world a somewhat better place. You'll feel really good about it. And like Regina Brim, she has every right to feel good about it. And in fact, go to RJ Brim at YouTube and, and see some of these stories and, and listen to these experiences and see things from other people's perspective. That, that really, really helps. Traveling is one of the most important educational, mind-blowing things that someone can do, or reading books, or seeing other people's experiences. That, that There's a lot of pessimism in our world today, but, but once you see things on the ground, I think things are getting better. Uh, we are taking more people out of poverty now, actually, than ever before. Uh, we are trying to assist each other as we walk through this life. So, Regina, thank you for being with us. 
really appreciate your spending the time with us and even more appreciate what you're doing at uh, RJ Brim on your YouTube channel. So, so thank you. I'm optimistic mostly because we have so many people in our country like RJ, like Regina Brim. She's certainly a queen in that fashion and just thank you so much. So there we have it. In many ways, of course, life is complicated, can be discouraging. We get hit in the face so often in the media with things that are going wrong in the world, but there are also lots of things going right. And one of them is like people like Regina Brim here, who takes it upon herself to help her children, help other people's children be that inspiration. So that's what we do. And if we do that, we will literally all rise together. So tune in next week. Join us again. Go back and, and see any other prior uh, edition on demand. But I will leave you at this with this word, which I always do by saying, and I mean it, life is good. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my thoughts that help us control.